This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, who's a safe bet to make the NBL playoffs? We chat about a fond cricketing memory as Kevin O'Brien goes ballistic. Hmm. Alex Zverev is a hit with the chair umpire. <laughs> and Daniel Medvedev dethrones the Joker as the new world number one. Oh, let's go, Shui. It's 8.38 on Tuesday, the 1st of March. Pinch and a punch, Stewie. Ow. <laughs> thank, thank God it's not a visual medium because he didn't he didn't punch me. There's no... no uh, I did not pinch you either. No, this is true. So we must be into the nervous 90s now, Stewie, because it was a bit of a feisty one last week. I had to stick this week in sport history at the end just to brush off the All-Star Weekend salt. Well, I mean, it's justifiable. It was a horrid, horrid All-Star Weekend. I regret nothing. I regret nothing. I do. I regret watching it. Well, <laughs> I mean, as far as our recording and yeah, our well, comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Soften the blow at the end. Now, also, we can't go any further before we send our love out to those who are doing it really tough, wherever they might be around the world. Obviously, at home, there's some pretty bad floods ravaging the East Coast at the moment. And I know it's brought the usual funny images like people kayaking through the streets or even I saw someone swimming in the forward pocket of a footy ground in Maruchador. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. But... It is serious business, and we do feel for those doing it tough. Our hats are off to those in the SAS and all those organisations helping people. Tremendous work. And all the families, obviously, who have lost loved ones through this. I mean, there's been, I think, at least seven people that I've seen that have lost their lives. So That's right. And I've heard like more than 100,000 people are displaced in one way, shape or form. Um, and funnily enough, Stuart, about 10 minutes before you got here, I saw a tweet from Olivia Grace Curran, who said, and I quote, Pharmacist Sky Swift put a call out on social media for a ride home from Tweed to Mwollomba. She wanted to open her pharmacy so residents had access to essential medication. Three-time world champion surfer Mick Fanning pulled up on his jet ski. Oh, wow. So, and there's a sport connection, of course. There's no, uh, no sharks following him. In de- well, yes. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I also just say, thank Christ that was you that delivered that because... I've never even heard of that second, was it? I'm a Willenbar, yeah. It helps when you worked in directory assistance for a few <laughs> yeah. years. If you, need a, for a uni. if you need a suburb uh, pronounced, just ask now. Yes, indeed. Yes. I couldn't tell you where on the map it is, but I've heard of it and I know how to say it. And then, of course, now we don't have any Ukrainian listeners, but we may have some Aussie, New Zealand, North American or European listeners with family or friends who are either currently there or from there. And it's a scary time, even if it doesn't touch your life super closely. So wherever you might be, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, our thoughts are well and truly with you. Amen. But as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? But again, like last week, a little bit different. Well, before we get into that, I do have a couple of corrections to make from last week. And it revolves around that Leighton Hewitt-Marcos Baghdadis game that we spoke about I sort of said, oh, I think it was around 2005. It was actually 2008. Didn't realise it was that late. And that was actually the first event that Novak Djokovic won a Grand Slam at. There you go. So he dropped one set all the way through to winning that one. Wow. And I know you'd mentioned at the same time that uh, you thought that that might have been the year that Baghdadis had made it through to the final. That was 2006, the year after that I'd alluded to, but a couple, uh, of, years, okay. yeah, a yeah. couple of years before this, lost to Roger Federer in four sets in the finals. So a good effort. Indeed, yes. And look, you know, it's over a decade ago. We can be forgiven for not remembering everything. Oh, no, the memory's not as sharp as it used to be. <laughs> Tennis isn't told the list for us either, but uh, yeah. Now, sure, we'll do pretty much like what we did last week. So we'll have basketball at the end of the show and then a bit of a rapid recall at the top here. We'll start with what'd you miss? What'd you miss, mate? A lot of NBL this week, actually. Uh, it wasn't a particularly appetising slate of games. And again, you know, the, these Sundays in particular are very, very difficult. The swimming lessons just 
it's the same thing every week. The swimming lessons just get in the way. <laughs> and then I'm chasing my tail for the rest of the day, trying to do housework and copping all sorts of grief for trying to watch my phone for a little bit. Well, this is probably the most NBL I've watched in many weekends. And I got to tell you, you didn't miss a hell of a lot. No, not from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I didn't see it, I saw the mini. So I either saw the mini or the full game of everything. I think I saw five full games. So I had it all pretty covered. So what did you miss then? Well, I missed the Perth Phoenix game. And I know that will come as some surprise as a Perth fan, but I knew you'd have watched it. So I thought, okay, well, let's try and cover a little bit more. So I will come back to that. I did watch the mini for it, but uh, I, and I saw the, I saw the Tassie Perth game, but not the, yeah, typical. I saw the win and not the loss, Yeah, but no, no, I will. I will go back and watch that one. No, fair enough. So where do we start with our rapid recall, Stewie? Well, I think the tennis is probably the first one we've got to look at. Let's do it. Uh, A lot of interesting stuff happening this week. And we've already spoken about Novak Djokovic in the corrections. And look, for the first time in a long, long, long time, Novak Djokovic is not the number one player in the world. Yes. And it gets even more interesting, isn't it, when you add a few more names to the list? Well, there's a lot of names I will be talking about very soon. So for anyone who somehow managed to miss this, I'd sort of seen a few notifications coming through and then I, I see one pop up that says Novak Djokovic is one set away from losing the world number one. And I thought, oh crap, grab the phone, chuck on KO. And I managed to see the second half of his tiebreak loss to qualifier Yuri Vesely, a Czech Republic player who I, I know a bit about, but not- He's beaten Novak twice. Yeah. Yeah. One He's of, his bunny. One of three players yeah. to, to beat him multiple times and, ne- and never lose to him. Nick Kyrgios is one of them. Oh, there you go. And Marat Safin. Wow, okay, that goes back away. Yeah. So that would have been the start of his career. Yeah, so I think the first two, Vesely and Kyrgios, are probably the most legit. But having said that, can only play the player in front of him. Yes, this is true. And geez, he was top for what, 350 weeks or so? A long time. 361 weeks. There you go. My goodness. So yeah, incredible, incredible stuff. And it is worth pausing to just quickly talk about Vesely. He had a phenomenal, phenomenal run at this Dubai Tennis Championship. He got through former US Open champion Marin Cilic in the first round, former world number nine Roberto Bautista Agut in the round of 16, beats Djokovic in the quarterfinal, comes back from a set down to beat Denis Shapovalov in the semis, and then loses to Andre Rublev in the final, which is uh, it's, it's something that we'll talk about a little bit later in the tennis. But yeah, a great week all up for Vesely. And so, yeah, as, as we said, it breaks that run of 361 straight weeks at world number one. Love him or hate him, that is utterly ridiculous. Oh, it is. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And it's probably been fairly well documented, but the first time since 2004 that anyone who isn't named Djokovic, Nadal, Federer or Murray is world number one. Yes, what I alluded to uh, earlier. Yeah, exactly. Bonus points. Can you guess who that was? Well, I have read this. So... Can I recall it though? This is the thing. Now you mentioned Marit Safin, but it's not. It's not him. It's not him. No, it's not. It's something weird. Like I remember reading about Yevgeny Kafelnikov. It's not. It's not. What did I? What context was that in? I can't remember. I've got his name written down there. So no, no, I read it today though. uh, For some reason. No. All right. Far away. It's just one Andrew Roddick. Ah, Andy Roddick. There you go. There you go. But the crazy thing is, on the women's side, they've actually been sixteen number ones in the same time. Now, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a trip down memory lane here. Some of them people will know really well. Some of them people may have sort of forgotten about. So we've got Justine Enanardin, Emily Moresmo, Lindsay Davenport, Maria Sharapova, Anna Ivanovic, Yelena Yankovic, Serena Williams, Dinara Safina, Caroline Wozniacki, Victoria Azarenka, Angelique Kerber, Karolina Pliskova, Gabi Muguruza, Simona Halep, Naomi Osaka, and Ash Barty. 
crazy that many in that time yeah and i'll be actually a little bit surprised that i none of them surprised me i would have thought there'd be a couple there that might have thrown curveballs but i didn't realize kerber got to number one she did yeah but all the others uh, none of like okay i wouldn't have been able to write them all down if you asked if you tested oh, I, me i couldn't have either. but like hearing them yeah there you go the, the only one, I had to double check what Safina's first name was. I couldn't remember it for the life of me. But interestingly enough, both male and females now have 27 number ones each. Wow, there you go. So there you go, we are even. And I did want to also say that obviously, as I've just mentioned, the last 18 years, there've been four world number ones in the men's. In the 12 months from August the 1st, 1998 to August the 1st, 1999, Pete Sampras, Marcelo Rios, Carlos Moyer, Yevgeny Kofelnikov and Pat Rafter. So more number ones in that 12-month period than 18 yeah, years. Yeah, that's basically. crazy, isn't it's it? Nuts. Isn't it? And of course, it has to be said, if it weren't for the Australian Open and Novak's not wanting to be vaccinated, this may have never happened. His streak probably would have continued. But hey, this is what happened. So. Got to do it. Yep. One other thing quickly with the tennis. I don't know if you saw this. John Millman managing to bounce a ball up into his, oh, terrible. his own eye at the Mexican Open having to retire. Down a set and a break, that's one way to end it quickly. Oh, and I think he tried to play a point or two, but then he just realised that he just couldn't You'd have no perspective. Yeah, yeah. And the eye would be watering and, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. It's just one of those... Just a shock. Just a freak accident. Yeah, yeah. And a, a number of players were saying, I've had that happen to me. It is excruciating. Because of that fluffy sort of surface would just, yeah, straight into the eyeball. I mean, you'd be lucky if it didn't scratch you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's nasty. yeah. yeah. And everyone's like, oh, he's wussing out because he got hit in the eye. It's like, you do it. See how yeah, well, go. exactly, exactly. Very, very difficult. Now, I think we've got to get on to the bad part of the tennis. And this isn't bad per se, but I saw that Andre Rublev wrote no war pleas on the camera after his semifinal in Dubai, which was a nice thought. You know, they'd sign the camera afterwards. But of course, it did not stop anything bad from happening. No. And it's so interesting because... These gestures that people are making, I mean, obviously the no war pleas here. You've got the Russian Grand Prix being cancelled. The international skiing events have been cancelled. Countless sponsorships around the world have, have gone. Uh, I saw Manchester United got rid of Aeroflot from their yeah, car, yeah, yep. which is a multi-million dollar sponsorship every year. So there's all these things. And, and it, it's horrible to think of them as being token gestures. But at the end of the day, they don't stop all of this crap that's going on. They don't stop the tanks or the bombs or any of that stuff. No, but cutting funding and hurting businesses makes more of a difference than writing something on a camera. And so it, anything to do yeah. with money is going to send a message. It, it, well, it will down the track eventually. I mean, obviously the troops that are already on the ground are just going to keep pushing, but yeah, it's, it's messy. It is. Oh, it's just, it's so sad. It really is. Now I've just remembered what bloody hell is, Chewy. There's another incident in the tennis that was so bad that it has been saved for that segment. So we'll get to that very shortly we indeed. Will. Absolutely disgraceful. So the AFLW is heading into finals time. This means it's really good close games lately. So Melbourne beat Brizzy by three. The Giants beat St Kilda by two. St Kilda then beat the Suns by three. There was a draw between the Suns and Dogs not so long ago. I really enjoyed the top of the table clash on the weekend between the Dockers and the Crows. I tell you what, Michaela Tuakarina is very quickly becoming my favourite player. She is quick. Oh, very quick. That sounds like Macarena. I'm well, sorry. I had to kind of say two Coronas to try and remember her name, but I remember it now. But so looking forward to that. My girlfriend and I are planning on going to the game on, on Saturday at Optus Stadium. So that'll be a bit of fun. You got a bit of AFL for the blokes. They're in preseason. Oh, look, it's not so much the, the AFL proper. It's just a, a, a funny story that I saw doing the rounds in the news. It was okay. a, a bloke up in Darwin who was suspended after taking a drink of a beer 
during a game. Oh, yes. <laughs> so he's sort of rest, resting at one end and he's been handed a, a beer and he's sculled the thing. And next thing you know, he's in trouble. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's a, maybe a little bit of overkill. Yeah. Suspending someone for that. I would have thought so. I yeah. mean, I guess kids are at the ground yeah, watching. But, the, yeah. It's apple juice. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, when I was fielding at deep fine leg when we were in the Caribbean playing with the Mad Dogs, I was I had a beer on the boundary that I was drinking. There, between. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Probably wasn't quite as uh, quite as conducive being at cover for me. But... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit more relaxed. And you would like to think that these guys were made... Look, I don't know the exact level of this guy. Maybe he was sort of one level below the AFL. I'm not entirely sure how it all works, but... Yeah, suspending a guy for having a, a beer in the middle of a game, it's a bit un-Australian, mm, isn't it? Yeah. A little bit, bit un-Australian. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Now, speaking of un-Australian, I've got a Yankee story for the AFL. Mason Cox will be wearing the, uh, they're not quite the Horace Grant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> goggles, but... Uh, Kurt Rambis? Or Kurt Rambis. No, they're not really, they're, they're almost, they're more like the Mike Mitchell Gold Coast roller visor oh, kind of. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Or actually might've been North Melbourne. He might not have worn them at Gold Coast. That was probably the North Melbourne Giants days, actually. Okay. Yeah, but anyway. Quality. One little interesting story from the cricket. I mean, there's a lot going on over in Pakistan at the moment. Unfortunately, Ashton Agars had, yeah. had death threats aimed what towards his wife. His wife was sent messages saying that your husband will your not husband. come home. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they're not threatening the wife. They're threatening him through, through the wife. her. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's disgraceful. Yeah, absolutely disgraceful. But I did sort of see something during the week that I thought was certainly not quite on that level, but still pretty disgraceful anyway. And it was involving Harris Ralph. So he's playing for the Lahore Calanders in a game against Peshawar Zalmi. And he has absolutely slapped the piss out of Cameron Gulam for dropping a catch. It was weird, wasn't it? It was. I think the thing that made it just as weird was that Gulam gets slapped. And it acts as if nothing happened. And just, yeah, like pats him on the chest. Yeah. yeah, good job. Like, well done. It's like, well, hang on a second. That's not right. Yeah. Okay, just because the guy's an international cricketer, and he's at that level, doesn't mean you've got to pander to his needs and whatever. That's just disgraceful. I'm sure he's dropped a catch or two in his time, Ralph. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fast, fast bowlers don't always <laughs> no. have, have the greatest hands. And, and yeah, the Pakistanis over the years have dropped their fair share. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> more than their fair share, really. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, it was a really hard slap, though. I'm amazed that there's been nothing come out of this in terms of a suspension or a fine or even a please explain. Yeah, very weird though yeah. very weird but yeah when i read the article colanders i just kept reading it as queenslanders but no yes they are not the lahore queenslanders do you know what i've just realized it's very similar to what matt hodgson did yeah yeah kind of it's, is it's, except it was his teammate yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> oh dear dear me yes dear me indeed by the way sri lanka played their 300th ever test match on the same day that australia and pakistan start okay so that's pretty cool too so some big test cricket coming up at the end of the week. Yeah, it's a shame they're probably going to lose that one. It's uh, the might of India. Yeah, yeah. Don't like their chances yeah, too much. Yeah, no, probably not. No. So we'll just finish on a couple of things in the state. Now, obviously, we're not huge baseball fans, but we do like the good stats. But at the moment, there's a lockout on, and we are big basketball fans, and this is potentially looming in the NBA not too far away as well. So we do keep an eye on things in that regard. But it's not looking good over there. And, and we know that they've got a, had a bit of a history of labor disputes, issues. They've had complete cancellation. They've had replacement players. They've had all sorts of stuff go on. So Jeff Passan from ESPN. Now it's a bit of a lengthy quote, but it's, it, I think it sums it up. Major League Baseball is in a crisis of its own making. 
a self-inflicted wound born of equal parts hubris, short-sightedness and stubbornness from a class of owners who run the teams and seemingly have designs on running the game into the ground. Barring a miracle 11th hour agreement Monday on a new labour deal that ends its lockout of the MLB Players Association, the league has said that it will cancel opening day games. That baseball finds itself on the precipice of such an ugly denouement is no accident. It is a study in the consequences of bad behaviour, of indignities big and small, of abiding by the letter of the law while ignoring its spirit, and worst of all, of alienating those who make the sport great. Denouement, there's a word I've never heard yeah, before. Yeah, there you go, a new one. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's worth noting that they do play 162 games in their season, so if they lose one or two, it's not the end of the world, but... Obviously, if we're talking losing 50, 60 games... Yeah, or bringing in replacement players that brings down the standard of the competition. There's a few different permutations. Denouement is just a fancy way of saying end, by the way. Oh, there you go. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Oh, look, I'm not going to lie. I had to click on the synonym button. Oh, good. I'm glad. glad, I've got a pretty good vocab. You're you're pretty handy with them wordy things. (laughs) Now you've got one as well. Yeah, just a couple of NFL things that I wanted to finish off with that I'd found out. So with Tom Brady dropping out, the most successful... Well, well. Okay, well... There's rumours he's going to go to San Francisco. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, with him not officially on a team at the moment... Yes. It currently sits that the most successful active quarterback in terms of Super Bowl rings is Jimmy Garoppolo. Speaking of San Francisco... With two. yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, as a backup, yeah, yeah, behind Tom Brady. Yeah, that would be kind, yeah. of, kind of ironic. Oh, uh, well, it could happen. It could very well happen. And I did see a very interesting stat, funnily enough, about the San Francisco 49ers. In the playoffs, the last six teams to have beaten the 49ers have all won the Super Bowl. The Buccaneers won it in 2002, the Giants in 2011, the Ravens in 2012, the Seahawks in 2013, the Chiefs in 2019, and the Rams just two weeks ago. So obviously, Stewie, two of those, the AFC teams, the Ravens and the Chiefs, the actual game itself was the Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah, but still, that's a crazy stat. Absolutely crazy. It it is. I mean, it's one of those things now where teams will be wanting to play the 49ers (laughs) just to see if they can keep that streak going. It's, It's incredible. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, as we alluded to, the bloody hell this week takes us back to the Mexican Open and one of the most disgusting displays I've seen from a tennis player before. Mm. It involves a doubles match between Alex Sperov and Marcelo Melo and Lloyd Graspool and Harry Heliovara. This was a really tight match all the way through. And in the final set tiebreaker, the score's sitting at eight to six. A return from Heliovara went wide and... I can confirm it was just wide. Yeah, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's close. But it, it was definitely out. Yeah. And it was called good by the line judge, unfortunately. And Sterov and Mayo absolutely lost their minds, complaining to no avail, adding some pretty choice language. There was a, uh, a warning on the video that I watched to watch out for a few expletives. Oh, yes, yes. He no. called him a fucking idiot. Well, yes. Among other things. Yes, we yes. do swear, Stewie. We can. <laughs> yeah, this, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> on the next point, Glasspool fires down an ace to win the match and then Sverev lost it. Probably the briefest of brief handshakes you'll ever see. And then Sverev's walked over towards the umpire's chair, smashed the side of it with his racket and then hit right next to the guy's feet twice more, destroying his racket in the process. And as a result, he was fined nearly $100,000 and defaulted out of the singles draw, which as the defending champion, he's now lost all those ranking points as well. 
and he probably would have made a pretty deep run. So he joins John McEnroe at the 90 Australian Open, David Nalbandian at the 2012 Queens Final, Shapovalov in the 27 Davis Cup tie with Britain. Kyrgios had four months and a fine of over $100,000 in 2019. And then, of course, Djokovic hitting the line judge at the US Open a couple of years ago. Now, I'm going to test myself here. The 1990 Australian Open McEnroe one, that was an accumulation of violations. So that was when they had just changed from, I think it was four, three warnings to two or something like that. They dropped one warning and he got disqualified for that. And it would be McEnroe that would be the first person to be slapped with that. It makes sense. Uh, Now, Bandian at the Queen's final, I remember that. He was pissed off at himself and he's actually kicked the shins of one of the line judges. That's right. He was kind of kicking the dirt and he accidentally hit it. Yeah, he sort of kicked the the box in front. Shapovalov, I remember the Davis Cup one. So he's kind of lost his mind. You know how sometimes players will hit the ball into the crowd? Well, it was similar to the Djokovic one. He's pegged the yeah. pegged the guy right in the face, yep. the, the actual umpire. Yeah. Yep. So that was an automatic disqualification. The curious one, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I think it was excessive verbal abuse. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> and it would have had to have been pretty excessive for that. Yeah. But like the thing about this that was a bit crazy to me is he he smashed the racket a few times and started to walk off. And then he walked back and he did it again. Yep. Went back for more. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh. It really is. Do you think a fine of 100000 is enough? So this one gets even more interesting because this is, of course, the same guy that we only spoke about last week who played this marathon and late match that it finished at five in the morning. And you have to wonder, he's tired, he's grumpy. Is that a mitigating circumstance? Now, of course, I'm not excusing the behaviour. It's not something I would ever do in a million years, even if I hadn't slept for three days straight. Yeah, no, it's not. But still, it's a good question. Well, I mean, you have to wonder if it factors into the penalty because had that not happened, had he had a good night's sleep, maybe he doesn't do it. And by the way, it's got to be said, the ball was close enough for, okay, it was an error, but it was close enough for you to go. It's like like a block charge in the basketball. It was a 50-50 it did not warrant the ridiculous... It's not like it was out by five centimetres. Mm. It did not warrant the reaction. It wasn't a howler. No. So I think, yeah, for me personally, I think if you're going to you're gonna ban Kyrgios for four months, this is the sort of thing where you're going after an umpire, I think you've got to send a message. Mate, when I saw this, I thought they should ban him for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. It's six months minimum for me. Yeah. It's really bad. Like, it's borderline assault. Well, it is. I mean, like, the, yeah. the umpire's lucky that he moved his foot out of the yep. way. Otherwise, that would have hit him. And okay, there's a fair chance if he hits the side of his foot, he's probably okay. But we don't know. Well, and it's not necessarily about damage either. It's about the act itself mm. and the, the the level of disrespect. And it's just not civilised behaviour. Yeah. And it's not something that kids should be watching. Well, especially so, as, as tennis has always been known as this gentleman's game. Yes. Yep. And unfortunately, I hate to bring it up, but there have been these accusations leveled against him about being, yes, the being, track record. being involved with, you don't want to say wife beating, but he was... Well, no, I mean, allegedly he hurt an ex-partner. Yep. So there's a bit of smoke around the fire, potentially. Mm. So it's not looking good for old, old mate, but no. uh, yeah, I think he's actually quite lucky. Mm. We'll keep an eye on the penalty for mm. this one. So for losing his mind and being given the boot to Alex Sparrow, all I can say is, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So unfortunately, Stewie, and I guess it's a bit of a theme, there's been bad news pervading the whole world at the moment, but also our episode. So we have to touch on some bad things. And look, I guess in a sense, he had a very good knock. He was a very elderly gentleman. But we do say rest in peace to Jack Bendat, the man who saved the Perth Wildcats. And 
It's got to be said, helped save the NBL in some ways. I was going to say, pretty much the entire league. Yeah, very, very important figure historically. Obviously, the Wildcats were owned by Luke Longley. And then I think he just gave it to Andrew Vlahoff. I don't think he even sold it to Andrew Vlahoff from memory. And then he had to sell it to Bender. And, And then the fortunes really turned around. Somehow they still managed to make the playoffs during all this time. Yeah, it was but, it was through a, a combination of different factors that the Wildcats continued to be, in inverted commas, successful. I mean, there were some pretty dark years there, some pretty average teams. Scraped in a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, un- unfortunately, that was the way of the league, though. It wasn't like anyone was really packing out major sort of big arenas. And yeah, it, it was just the way the league was going. And thankfully, the Wildcats were able to get a, a pretty decent cash injection from, you know, from Jack. And yeah, absolutely. He well and truly saved n- not only the Wildcats franchise, but I think he was a, a big part in. By extension, the yeah, league, yeah. In the league surviving and, and, yep. and now thriving as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So our thoughts are with his family. Uh, again, you know, he had a very good knock, but it's still never easy to lose someone no matter how old they are. Yeah. So. But the, the other thing that's come out of this that I didn't realize is apparently he had a really good cheeky sense of humor. So I've heard some really interesting and funny stories about him. So that's something that I didn't know previously. And that's that's the nice thing when someone passes away, the nice stories and, and all the recounts and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so. well, it's funny you say that because I was actually listening to a podcast with Lucas Walker during the week. And I, I apologize, I can't remember the name of it. I'll try and look it up and, and mention it next week. But basically, he was sort of talking about all the different franchises he played with and a period of time where he was actually his own agent. And he'd mentioned that when he played for the Wildcats, the introduction that he had to that franchise was Andrew Vlahov coming out and talking about what it means to be a part of the franchise and be a Wildcat. And and it's just, that's the sort of stuff that you would expect from that franchise. And that's, that's what, you know, what Jack was all about. Embodies the culture. It really does. Yeah. So Vale Jack Bendat, gone, but not forgotten. And then the other one now, obviously we hope, he still has many, 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 many more years left. But unfortunately, CJ Bruton has come out as having cancer, which is really sad too. So yeah. our thoughts are with him and hopefully things turn around for him soon as well. So let's get stuck straight into the action from the weekend, Stewie. Now, we won't go through every game like we have in previous weeks. We'll just kind of talk about themes rather than that. But good to see some blokes back in the last week or so. Scotty Machado and Nathan Sobey. Interesting story out about him. Yeah, gee, some pricks broken into his house over the weekend and stolen his bronze medal yeah, from the terrible. Olympics. Uh, it, it, it just, it boggles my mind that people think that this has some sort of monetary value. It doesn't. Well, only on the black market, but then you need to find the black market. You need to, yeah, yeah, no, it's terrible. This is it. No, it's, it's, it is sad. I mean, no one should be breaking in, but it's stealing a bloody medal. Yeah. Like, it's like when, um, I mean, it's not identical, but it's like when poor Luke Longley lost all that Chicago Bulls memorabilia when he had a house fire. He, he might have lost Boomer's memory. He might have lost a whole bunch of he, stuff. He would have lost a lot yeah, of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, like, okay, yeah, if, if there are people that are that desperate, they're going to break in. Fucking steal a TV, steal... Everything else. Yeah, just, yeah not the sentimental. Don't take photos. Yeah. Don't take medals. Yeah. Don't take stuff with sentimental value that means very little to anyone else. I just, just stop, seriously. Mm, mm, no, hopefully that's recovered. Mm. Uh, now, interesting, he's on minutes restriction. And there was a great story that Derek Rucker told as the sideline reporter during the Brisbane and Tassie game. Nathan's grinning like a Cheshire cat right now because he knows I hate minutes restrictions. Well, and this is the funny story. So, so, and I know you'll like this story too, which is also why I'm grinning. 
Because Derek Rucker was saying way back in the day in the early 90s when he was coming back. Now, I wish I could remember. I want to say hamstring. He was coming back from some injury. I can't remember what it was. And he said to, he said to his coach, oh, coach. Now, I don't know who it was. Maybe he didn't mention who it was. Maybe Brian maybe, Curl with the Bullets, maybe? Or Bruce Palmer, maybe? Bruce Palmer with, with the Bullets, maybe, yeah. It'd be one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think, Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, might have been Bruce Palmer. It'd be one of those. Anyway, two. regardless of who it was, Derek went up to the coach and he said, coach, how many minutes can I expect coming off injury? To which the coach replied, uh, 28 points and 10 assists. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and when you play 19 minutes on minutes restrictions you're not going to get well it's unlikely you'll get that which is not what Nathan Sobey got but it is good for the Bullets they need him I'm still not convinced he's a point guard by the way at the end of that first quarter he was casually strolling down the court realized there was only two seconds left on the clock forced a three tried to get a foul nah, no no yeah. avail mate you're a shooting guard but anyway good to have him back and hopefully those dreaded minutes restrictions will fall away soon Shui. fingers crossed they don't work now this round for the most part, pretty bloody average, I have to say. Not spectacular. Jalen Adams hit another big shot for Sydney to get him over the line in Adelaide, but a lot, oh. a lot of blowouts, pretty disappointing performances all around. How was the Daniel Johnson reply? Oh, sensational. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so he didn't have a foot on the line. He had a foot, whole foot over the line. Yeah. Oh, that was woeful. I, I think they, they jumped the gun a little bit. So, the first person to, to present was Johnson, but I think they could have really... They used, had time. They could have used that as, as a, a chance, as a decoy, to basically head down to the corner, set a screen for Sunday deck, yeah. and basically have him head up. And I mean, yeah, any, yeah. anything would have been a better... I heard a really, really great call. <laughs> I believe it was Joseph on the podcast, basically said they may as well have just put the ball on the ground and, yes, walked, yeah. and walked off. Exactly. Sensational. Oh, nothing bothers me more than not getting off a proper tying or game-winning shot in that situation. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, it was and they called story. multiple timeouts. That was a horrible end to a pretty interesting game. It was one of the games of the round, actually, for me. Yeah. Mm. Great shot by Adams. Ice in his veins. Now... It has to be said, we learned nothing about a number of teams in this round. Melbourne United at the top, we learned nothing. Cairns, Brisbane, New Zealand at the bottom, nothing we didn't already know. I'll tell you what for Cairns, though, and I haven't watched Cairns for a little while, so it was good to see a couple of their games. Keanu Pinder has improved. He has. Defensively, he's a menace. He's looking a bit like um, Justin Simon from last season, actually. He's playing similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime you get out from underneath Connor Henry, you have to improve. Well, surely. maybe that's surely. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it, as I said, those teams, United, very impressive in the fourth quarter against Cairns, even without Joe Luala Chul. And credit to Cairns for hanging around because it was like a two point game for a lot of the second half. They actually outplayed Melbourne in the third quarter, mm. I thought. But yeah, Melbourne ran over the top of them in the fourth. But, and again, we're seeing the continued emergence or, or re emergence, I guess, of Shay Ely. We're seeing the progressions in guys like Jack White, Ariel Huck Porty. I'm a massive fan of both of those big guys. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those same Taipans were just meh in, in good chunks of both of their games. They had a 22 point second half in somehow holding on against Brisbane. Who? Oh, that was a not an easy game to watch. Yeah. That one. Who again, How did Brisbane lose that? Because they play like shit. Well, they're so inconsistent. I mean, if you yeah. look at the, the two guys, Robert Franks against Cairns, 10 points, five rebounds. And he had an okay start too, so he fell away after that. And then Lamar Patterson had 12 points and two assists. Yeah, So not two big enough. guys. But then the next game they play against the Jack Jumpers, Franks comes out with 23 and 10. And then you've got 16 and 10 assists for, for Patterson. So And the Jack Jumpers weren't terrible. They were looking like they were going to win it for a while there, late, fairly late in the game. 
Brisbane ran over the top in the fourth quarter. So yeah, yeah. I, gee, they're a, Jack, I say it every Jack, week. Jack I say it every week, but I feel so sorry for their fans. And you can add Adelaide to that list too, because sometimes Adelaide look like they can beat anyone, but more often than not, they, they're underachieving. Yep. And okay, yes, they have guys out, but geez. And sorry, I have to apologize. 23 and 11 for Franks. Right. Not 23 and 10. But oh, yeah, well, you were. I, I just, I can't remember the last time that Brisbane played a complete game as a team. They, I said this before. Perth. In the double OT game. That's probably it, yeah. Yeah, in what, round three or something? Way, way, way at the beginning of the season when Perth was still playing home games. Yeah, it's the same thing. They'll have one or two guys that'll play well. I think Kadi played well in one of those games. And they had performances of some sort from one or two guys here and there, but they're just not getting any sort of quality right across the board aside from that game in Perth. They need consistency from two out of their three imports every game, really. Well, they're getting nothing from yeah. Moss, so it's yeah. going to have to be both of those two. So, But Sobe coming back, it will be interesting to see if that lifts them up a little. Yeah. Hopefully. And then New Zealand. They played this afternoon against Illawarra and they got absolutely blown out because Yanni Wetzel didn't play. Well, McDowell White, there were a few blokes yep. that were out. So, yeah. So yeah. we don't really know anything more about those teams than we already knew going into this round. There's nothing new. Illawarra benefited from playing crappy teams, it's got to be said. That might play them back into form. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. And hey, that's what they need, so. And I, I do just want to quickly, before we get into the next bit, I just want to talk about one thing that is absolutely plaguing our game right now. Teams getting the ball back with the shot clock off and taking the shot with five or six seconds left on the game clock. Giving the other team opportunity. Yep. This happened at the end of the third quarter of that New Zealand Illawarra game. Chesson Randall fires up a three with about six seconds left. Xavier Rathane Mays gets the rebound and hits his back-breaking three to stretch the lead out to 12. And it's pretty much game, game over. Yeah. Yep. And you're just thinking, why would you shoot that then? Wait another three or four seconds, give them nothing. I, I just don't understand why teams keep doing this. And I've seen it countless times, every game. And the other one is blokes passing it back into the backcourt well, at the wrong time, which you mentioned last week or the week before. There was a blatant one from the Wildcats this weekend. There was one in just about every game. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think I know the one you mean. It's Kevin White. I thought Kevin White threw, threw the pass. Threw it to yeah. Cotton and Cotton has jumped over, yeah. over the line. And you hit a three on that possession. Yep. Which is, you know, it's a big play. Then the funny thing is the one that they actually called all weekend, from what I saw, I didn't see every single minute of every game, but... Was on Josh Adams for the Jack Jumpers. I think it was in that Brisbane game where it was like deflected. Like it was the, the one one that they could have not called, and it probably wasn't even. It's like, oh guys, what are you doing? Yeah. But yeah, no, it's very frustrating. That it yeah. is, it is. And so I think the finals picture is starting to look clearer to everyone involved, especially sports bet. Yes, yes. Well, that's telling. Now, if you look on the NBL app, you will see the following. Melbourne United are paying $3 for the championship. Southeast Melbourne and Sydney are paying $4. The Wildcats are paying $4.33. Illawarra are paying $7. Then Tasmania, Brisbane, Adelaide and Cairns are all paying $201. Yep. <laughs> and that's weird because Tassie are only like a couple of games behind at the moment. Well, to me, Tassie and Brisbane are a nose ahead of those other two teams, at least a nose ahead. So I think they should be in a category unto themselves, actually. And then amazingly, before today's game, I'm not sure if it's changed, but New Zealand sitting bottom without a home game to come this season, paying $151. Yeah. So they're paying less money than the four teams that are ahead of them. That's got to be the name recognition of those championships they won. It's, it's going back a while now. 
it's getting further and further away then yeah that's weird i mean let's be honest any of those five teams would be a waste of money anyway well but, most likely because yes. it's <laughs> unlikely any of them are making it but i basically wanted to pose you the question nathan gun to your head and that's not a real gun i don't own guns but gun to your head who makes it the two victorian teams the sydney kings and the perth wildcats i think okay illawarra unlucky i think that's the consensus and i agree 100 percent with that so i kind of wanted to look at each of those five teams though so melbourne united southeast melbourne sydney perth and illawarra and kind of discuss where they're sitting at the moment and kind of what potentially sees them get in what potentially could see them miss out? And, and look, we are at the halfway point. Tassie and Brizzy still could make it. Oh, we're past the halfway point. Now. Well, we're, we're, we're around the halfway point. Tassie and Brizzy could still make it, but we've seen enough to suggest that they won't. Yeah. That's fair. So start off Melbourne United, top of the table, 12 wins, four losses, firing on all cylinders. They've won four in a row at the moment. It's their depth for me. So they don't need everyone to fire every night. They get enough. As you said, Illy's basically in career form, I think. JLA did miss that game against Cairns, which is maybe partly why Cairns did hang around for as long as they did in it. But they have the big depth to, to make up for it. I mean, they could lose him and, and still have a chance of winning the whole thing. That's how, that's how strong and deep they are. Well, I mean, if you look at Ariel Hutporty, Phil within four and 23 minutes. 12, Ariel. 12, <laughs> sorry, my mistake. <laughs> Had to be done. 12 points, eight boards, two steals, three blocks. That is a very, very impressive showing. 50% from the field as well, so a good clip. But you got, you know, again, good performances. So Chris Golding played well. Agata, whilst he didn't have huge numbers, 12 points, he only took six shots. So again, the shooting percentage is way up there. Delhi was okay. Shay Illy actually probably outplayed him, as he seems to be doing quite frequently at the moment. Yeah, well, Illy's getting lots of raps from everyone, and justifiably so, too. So, yeah, they're getting performances from everyone. The defense, again, is still spectacular for the most part. And I'm a massive fan of White. He, he's got to be a good NBA chance. Oh, he'd have to be. Yeah. Yeah, yep. definitely. Especially with that extra athleticism that he's added while he's yep. been out rehabbing. Yeah, so. he runs the court well. He's not afraid to put it on the ground if he has to. Yeah, no, he's great. Is there anything that we can see that could potentially derail United making, let's say, the, let's say the final series? Because at this stage, you would have to assume that they are odds-on favourites to make the grand final. I guess it would be an injury. The question is, who is the player that they can least afford to lose to injury? Maybe Golding? I think it's Golding, yeah. Yeah, I think based on the depth and where they have guys at the different spots, I think it might be him. But point guard, I mean, losing Delhi would be pretty big. Even though Illy, I mean, Illy's not a pure point guard. So I'd say maybe one of those two. I think it's Golding for the simple reason that, okay, Luala Chul, funnily enough, could well be the most valuable player in the league. I think he's probably top three at the moment. I think he's number one at the moment. But Huck Porty has such, you know, such amazing skill. He fits into that. Oh, team. yeah, yeah. Huck Porty and White. So, and, and then they've got Aquera as well to play minutes and, if they needed well, him. And Mason Peatling. As Mason well, Peatling, well. yeah. So, so yeah. Their, their centre depth, I think, would allow them to get by without him. That's the remarkable thing. Whereas I think with Golding, they don't really have necessary... I mean, Agata can kind of do bits and pieces, but... He's not a point guard. They don't have a pure shooting guy that can kind of replace him. So, like, if you look at South East Melbourne, for example, Cam Glidden can kind of step into that Ryan Brokov. Okay, maybe he doesn't rebound as well as Brokov right now. <laughs> yeah. He's turned, yeah. <laughs> He's turned into the worm, we, we know. But, you know, those guys can kind of interchange a little bit on the offensive end, whereas I, I just don't think that Melbourne have a ready-made player who can sub in for Golding if he goes down. And 
We saw it at the start of the season. He missed the first couple of games. And what did Melbourne do? Yeah. They lost. By they weren't as sharp. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny that you're, you're arguably your best player and arguably the best player in the league is actually more replaceable than, than another guy. It all comes down to depth and rosters and chemistry and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Yeah. It does. Yep. But I think United well and truly... I mean, they've earned their favouritism from where they are now. Yes, definitely. Of... Like, let's not hand them the trophy, but they are odds-on favourites at the moment for good reason. And I shouldn't say favouritism as in the umpire. Although <laughs> it does seem like that sometimes. It, uh, we won't mention it like that. Second place at the moment, South East Melbourne Phoenix. Ten wins, five losses. What are, we, what are your thoughts on the Phoenix at the moment? Look, I think they lack consistency a little bit. I think guys have worked out how to play Chi. You just try and keep him away from the rim. If you can keep him away from the rim... He's pretty limited on offense. I think they have good balance, though. They have good roster balance. They have decent depth. It's interesting to say that I've actually kind of identified a few personnel issues. Chi is absolutely one at the moment. I, I think you're, you're spot on in terms of guys have figured out that if you're physical enough with him and push him away from that block... Yeah, keep yeah, him out of the keyway, yeah. He, he doesn't really do much. And yeah. again, against the Wildcats over the weekend, he plays nearly 20 minutes he basically attempts six shots and ends up with five points. So it's not a, a great output from him. Brandon Ashley had another one of those games over the weekend, eight minutes, four fouls. He wasn't a huge factor, unfortunately, for them. So that's something going into the playoffs that teams will look to really attack is, you know, throw those up fakes, get into the body, try and, and really force him onto the bench because once they go short and okay, yes, they've got Dane Pinot who can come in and, and play those Mason Peatling sort of minutes, you still, you would rather play Southeast Melbourne with their small ball lineup. So if they're having Mitch Creek sort of playing a, a hybrid four or five or. Oh, he has to, he kind of has to on this team. I mean, he's more of a small forward for me, but he can be exposed at the defensive end when he's playing on bigger guys. Absolutely. But they, they kind of have to play him at the four. Yeah. And, and I found the Xavier Munford minutes quite interesting. Only 14 minutes now. Again, you could attribute that to a guy being on fire. So Kyle Adnam. Yeah, well, he had the game he, of the season. He yeah. lit the Wildcats up. And yep. it was just, you know, 24.6 assists in 25 minutes, basically. He was attacking to the right spot. He played a really cerebral game. Just, yeah, kind of kept getting involved in the pick and rolls. If guys were sagging off, he'd get to his spot and up they went. And it's just good coaching, isn't it? You feed the hot hand and you leave the hot hand on the court. And so I guess the only issue is, does Mumford look at that and go all right, I'm a team first sort of guy. I'm happy with that. Or does he look at it and go, well, I, I'm an import. I shouldn't be playing 14 minutes a uh, game. It's one game. It's one game. If it happens again. But we'll again, keep though, an eye on it. We'll keep an yeah, eye on it. If, if yeah. it happens again. And look, having said that, other guys deserve minutes as well. Isaiah Liafa played the game of his life defensively on Bryce Cotton and made it incredibly difficult for him to even get the ball, let alone get good shots up. And He's a very handy player. It is, it, he was. He was incredible. And if you look at the fact that Cotton finishes with 15, Liafa finishes with 12, that's basically a push. Well, it's a win. It's a win for the Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah, it, is. It, is. it is. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, even, I mean, unfortunately, as always seems to happen for us, Ruben Tarangi finds his form a little <laughs> bit in that game and Adam plays the uh, game of his life. It's, it's, Tarangi, yeah. Tarangi is, he's only good for one every six games now, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, we're probably quite spoiled as Perth fans. Oh, of course we are. Do we get on to Perth? We can, yeah. So I, I want to read a quote from at Ryan Benno on Twitter. And I think, I think it sums it up because I think Perth fans are spoiled. And I think there's a bit of sky is falling stuff going on at the moment. 
So Ryan said, and I quote, the Wildcats have been away for two months, living out of suitcases, away from their wives slash partners and kids, had a bout of Rona skittle the team, and yet they head home third on the ladder. Reading some of the tweets on my timeline from their fans, you'd think they're winless. Crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is a little bit crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, they've been five and five on the road this season, which when you consider just the length of time and the fact that it's not play an away game, go back home, play an away, yeah. And if you look at the away record of every team in the competition, it would probably be... Yeah, well, I had a look at this and it's kind of, you can put a little asterisk next to this. Melbourne United, seven and two away. There's probably at least one of those games against Southeast Melbourne. Which, yeah, yeah. Which is on their home court anyway. But yeah, the Phoenix four and three, Illawarra four and two. They're the only two other teams that have a winning record away, and then everyone else is really struggling. So, so has Illawarra been better away than at home? Yeah. Oh, well, that well that uh, bodes well because they have a bout of road games coming yeah. up. So. <laughs> Bloody hell! Yeah, it's a, it's a bit crazy. But like, I saw I saw the Scott Morrison press conference after I can't remember which game it was. If if it was the Southeast Melbourne game, I think it was the Tassie game, the more recent of the two. So he basically said, "I was in Perth for I think." four weeks and then I've, I've been out of Perth since for nine for yeah. yeah for two and a half months so we've got to put some of this stuff in perspective we've got COVID we've got hardly any home games okay yes the Fraser thing is important we'll talk about him in a minute and we'll get there very soon but it's I mean they're not perfect obviously there are things that can be improved but I think as Wildcats fans we maybe need to take a few steps back and go Actually, the boys have done a pretty decent job. Third place. They've done a decent... What is this? And obviously, Hodson <laughs> missed some games through suspension. Yeah. Blanchfield's been injured. So, I, I think they've done bloody well. Well, and we should also probably talk about this quickly before we get into the Wildcats full on. The Mitch Creek hit on Mitch Norton. Mitch on Mitch Violence. Yes, it was Mitch on Mitch. Well, and they talk about the Cotton one too, but eh, I don't know. Oh, they look like incidental the, content. The, the Cotton one, at the end of the day, that's a, it's a foul. They missed it. Yeah. But that, it wasn't egregious. That, that one, yeah, I don't have a problem with that one. And no. to, to be honest, I don't have a massive, massive problem with the Norton one either. I no, think. me neither. I thought it was incidental. I think it's been blown out of proportion. By Perth fans. But, well, yes, but probably <laughs> by, our by a lot of us. But, yeah, but yeah. It's, been, it, it's been sort of said that it should have sort of been, yeah, taken to the tribunal. I don't have a problem with them, yeah, certainly giving us a please explain. But, yeah, I think it's one of those ones just in a, a rebounding battle and as he's taken the step forward, the arms come forward and it's just unfortunately hit him in a bad spot. And, and there was a cheeky little look behind, much like a bat's better will look behind if they have uh, think that, you know, they've nicked one. But, but, but it, could, right. it could also just be a case of him looking back going, what happened? Yeah, what did I hit? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it was that bad at all, really. I think it was just a bang-bang play, one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing there for mine. Yeah. So with the Wildcats, nine wins, six losses, five of those 15 games at home so far. Four more to go at Adelaide, at Melbourne, at Brisbane, at New Zealand, which at New Zealand's in Tassie. Yeah. And then nine at home in a row. So it's going to be interesting. I, th I think get through those four. I think the Wildcats would be eyeing up Adelaide, Brisbane, New Zealand as three wins. At least two. But I mean, going two out of two would mean they're seven and seven on the road. Pretty decent. You can kind of live with that. With nine at home. I mean, if they go six and three at home, they've almost punched their ticket already, I yeah. think. I wouldn't be too worried if I'm a Wildcats fan. I heard Andrew Canyon on the podcast today. He seems a bit worried. And look, Fraser isn't perfect. The rebounding is an issue. We lack a traditional power forward. But in spite of all that, 
the Wildcats should still make the playoffs and maybe another even grand final. And Who knows? Look, everyone's forgotten what the flight to Perth is like. It's yes, it's a lot longer than a flight from Sydney to Melbourne or Sydney to Brisbane. Or oh, like and if you're whatever. anything over, well, any basketballer is over six foot basically. So it's it's not a pleasant experience no, flying when you're over six it. foot. And and obviously, you know, we've still got Bryce Cotton. So yes, there is that. And look, there were some positives to take out of the weekend. Matt Hodgson started playing some decent ball. It seems like they're, they're kind of really bringing him into the offense a little bit more, setting some pick and rolls, throwing him lobs. And this is what I said a few weeks ago. He's not anemic offensively. He does have post moves. So it was, and okay, yes, there's a lot of criticism online about the three-point shooting with the Wildcats. But clearly, against Tassie particularly, attacking the paint, attacking their lack of bigs with Magnay out, so, yeah, good signs there. And the thing is, I, I think the three-pointers were a little bit better in that game. I mean, again, a good percentage, 9 of 22. But for me, it's the fact that it's 22 three-pointers out of 68 shots. 46 of those are inside that, yeah. that three-point line. 22 rather than 32, for example. That, yes. Yeah. That, to me, is a huge stat. And, it, and really, it shows that the game plan was, let's attack the fact that Tassie don't have any players. Well, Magna is out. So they're going to be going with Macintosh. Mac, yeah, Macintosh, yeah. Uh, um, Jock Perry. A lot Perry of, looked all right, I thought. He looks okay. I think he might deserve more minutes, actually. But at the end of the day, like if you've got him playing a few minutes, yeah, as you say, Macintosh will switch on to him. Jack McVeigh might even have to play a few minutes on him. So, But they just don't have the length. And, and Hodgson's got a good hook shot. So if you're, if you're playing against guys that don't have the length defensively, there are going to be bunnies. It's the hack of Hodgson. That's what I would like to see if, if you're an opposing team. Yeah, well. Put him on the line. Yeah. That, yeah well, it. neither of the Wildcat centers are good free throw shooters. Yeah. No, not particularly. And then obviously the play of Luke Travers. Yes, he was excellent. Yeah, he's taken a step. I mean, again, I'm still not quite there on the NBA. There's still things about his game that I'm not sure about. I love the fact that he slashes and cuts off the ball really well. There was a really nice backdoor cut where Kevin White found him just before one of the... I think it was half time or quarter time or whatever. One of the breaks. And he's throwing one down. So there are some signs. The three-point shot still looks a little bit off. The mechanics are not quite perfect, but it's getting there. The problem is that he forced one in that Tassie game. If he's taking them when he's open, I'm okay with that. Just don't force them. You don't need to force them. He's improving year on year. He's he's definitely an NBA prospect for mine. I mean, I've I've been consistent with that. But I think defensively is where he's more of an NBA prospect than offensively. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But he he can definitely. And I'm, again, I'm not saying he's a starter. No, no. But he could be easily a twelfth guy on an NBA roster, surely. Hmm. And you know he's going to compete in practice and stuff. So and he's young. So yeah, no. so, yeah make that money. But there were a couple of things to to be concerned about. So again, the execution down the stretch. And this goes, oh. this goes back to the, the Southeast Melbourne game. And it goes back even further to the, the Sydney game. Where the we, shot selection. We, we talked about, obviously, the disappointing three-point shot that Vic Law took against Sydney. Cotton now, took some bad ones over the weekend. So we're well, looking at this one. Down two against the Phoenix. Two opportunities. Yep. 36 seconds left. Blanchfield misses a contested three. Meanwhile, Vic Law has Liafa on him basically down low. And you're thinking, that's the way to go. Hold it in there. Let him post up get to your spot, see what happens. You might get a wide open look after that, fair enough. Yeah, well, at least let the play develop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then we force a turnover, 25 seconds left. Cotton misses a contested three with Brandon Ashley on Not it. a good shot. Get to the basket. Yeah. Pretty much that entire half of the floor was wide open. But defenses are keying in on Cotton and Law. So the other three guys are going to have a very good chance at an open shot. Mm. 
But I mean, Cotton didn't need to force it. No, he didn't. There was time. Yeah, he really did. Take that little half step back and then go past him. You'll blow by him. You'll get a layup. Yeah, and he's not there at the rim to defend you because he's on the perimeter. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's obviously a little bit disappointing. And really, certainly in in the Tassie game, I think there were there were even moments late in that one where we had a forty nine to thirty rebound count, and it's still a six point game. Like yeah, yeah. So yeah, one of the few times they won the rebound count. So there's a few concerning things there. And then obviously the the production of Michael Frazier continues to, to slide. He was okay against the Phoenix. He had 10 points, four rebounds, but he did have four turnovers in that game. But it was the game against the Tassie Jack Jumpers where there's guys out and... And I can see on your notes there, reading over your shoulder, nearly 18 minutes. I, I It felt like he played 10 when I watched the game. Thought, 18 is a lot. I thought it felt like more, to be honest. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but yeah. No. I just barely saw I felt like I barely saw him. He just... Yeah. No, he's... He was only doing bad things. Well, that, he, well that's because most of the stuff in the first half was him just standing in a corner. Yeah. So he took one shot. And there were times when I thought, right, this is the time to be aggressive. You've taken that power dribble down to the baseline, pull up for your jump shot from 12, 13 feet out against a smaller guy. But again, it's coming to a stop, looking to kick it out. And it's that's not what we need. So, yeah, three rebounds, two assists, three turnovers. Broke the Wildcats record for the most minutes by an import for no points in the last 20 years. Thank you to NBL Facts for that one. Yeah, I saw that one too. Broke Derek Cook Jr.'s record. Yeah, there are a few names on that list. Uh, guys that didn't last very long, and he may be on that uh, same list. <laughs> but interestingly, Nath, one of the points you brought up, it might have been last week, was that you felt like it was kind of thrown under the bus a little bit by Coast Gomo. This feels to me a little bit like a Mick Lewis sort of situation <laughs> for people who don't know what that is quite a while back there was a fast bowler for the Australian cricket team named Mick Lewis oh god Victorian I think we're going back nearly 20 years Drew. yeah and there was a whole bunch of hoo-ha about oh I don't think Ricky Ponting likes him well so there was this game against South Africa where we made this massive total 434 I think it was yeah it, it, like there's no way we should have lost the game and then he was bowling like absolute shit and Ponting just kept throwing him the ball. And when we were watching the match, we we're like, is he intentionally throwing him the ball so he never plays again? And sure enough, he never played again for Australia, I don't think. And when you bowl 10 overs, none for 113, you probably should never bowl for anyone ever again. Sometimes coaches and leadership can set players up to fail. And so there were points in this game where you've got Bryce Cotton on the floor, you've maybe got Kevin White on the floor, and they're giving the ball to Frazier and asking him to bring the ball up against pressure which is not something that he's good at. You'd be better off giving it to Todd Blanchfield or Travis. giving it to Travis yeah. or giving it to friggin' Majuk Majuk if you have to. Yeah, yeah, use so, that grunt. And, yeah, you can break a press with the grunt. So, yeah, yeah. so many yeah. guys that they would have been better off using. And unfortunately, what happens? An eight-second violation, a couple of other turnovers. And it's been said, he just does not fit with Blanchfield and Travis. And honestly, it was asked on overtime whether they thought that he would play another game at Perth Arena. And Homicide was very quick to say, yeah, of course he will. Of course he will. I'm not sure about it. Yeah, I I tell you what, they need to make a change very soon if they're going to. Some of the rumours are that they're looking for an Aussie. That's fine. So they might keep him and get an Aussie. The, the Bryce citizenship stuff's come come back into the fore again a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's happening there. We'll, we'll watch that space. Mm. But. but anyway, look, the Wildcats are looking okay. A lot of home games coming up, so they should be okay. Next, we get into the, the other two teams. So the Hawks. The New South Welsh. 10 wins and seven losses from them. 11 of their 17 games played at home so far. Three and two away, but they're three wins. Adelaide, Sydney when they were shit at the start of the season, and Cairns. 
Mm. Nine wins so far, three over Cairns, three over Adelaide, one over New Zealand and two over Sydney in the first four weeks. What do you reckon? Well, I, I thought Reef looked a little bit better this week. I don't know if that injury from a few weeks ago has niggled at him. I guess it's maybe a couple of weekends now where he certainly looked a bit better. Look, they can still make it. They've got a very good coach. Well, he's got the track record. They've got a pretty decent roster. They've got, I mean, I, I really like Cleveland. I really like Reef. Harvey could come good. There's nothing to say he's going to continue on this form. He's, he had a good game he's, today. He's looking a little bit better. So I think they can still make it, but it'll be their, their friends down the road that they'll be fighting with, I think. For me, it's about the want with Illawarra. So if you look at some of the numbers, they're top three in field goal percentage and three-point percentage, which is a real surprise based on last year. They're first in turnovers. They average less than 10 turnovers a game. Second in steals and blocks. Steals isn't all that surprising because I think Cleveland and Harvey were two and three last I checked. And they are, I mean, I keep talking about it. They're lengthy and bouncy. So the the, the defensive stats aren't surprising. But they're getting smashed on the boards yeah, every yeah. single game. And that's yeah. that's where it comes back to guys like... That, that is surprising because they're big. They're big. Yeah. I mean, even like the Adelaide game, 50 to 44. So they lost that one by six. But if you're consistently getting smashed on the boards, there's more chances for the other team to take shots, less chances for you with offensive rebounds. It's just... That's the problem for me. Um, it's been well documented. I've spoken about Tyler Harvey as many times as I have. He had a good game today, as I said, shooting the ball, which is nice. Justinian Jessup was the same. They're both streaky. they got to string them together. But the surprising thing for me is if you look at, well, I shouldn't say surprising. I'm not surprised at all, actually, is Emmett Nah. Yeah, yeah. He dominated with the Boomers. Now, okay, it's the might of Chinese Taipei for the most part, and I think that was two of the three games they played. Yeah, I'll be honest. That's why I haven't watched the qualifying games, because that, I knew we would win. But we can say, yeah, nah, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he looks a better playmaker than Harvey. I wonder whether there's some sort of merit playing nah at the point, playing Harvey at the two. It's worth a try. I mean, he, he had a very good college career, nah. So... It, it, he's very capable. I like that, actually. Get, I like the suggestion. Get Harvey moving away from the ball. Get him set so he's not having to rely on these, you know, crossover dribble, step back, fade away three. Anything fade away, anything step back. I've said this a number of times. It's not good for him. You could go with a five of Nah, Harvey, Cleveland, Jessup, and Reith. Yeah, or Froling and Reith if you want to go to Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they probably want to have Jessup on the floor, and that is a bit short, but there's a lot of small ball out there. So you, Yeah, you can move yeah. that around, and that allows you to bring another player into the rotation coming in. Isaac White had a really good game over the weekend. He had 14 points uh, in one of their two games. So th they need to just get a little bit more from more guys. And, I mean, again, it's like a broken record for me. I apologize. But I think, yeah, with, with Nah, the poise he plays with, his ability to find guys at the right time, is, it's just his general decision-making it was sensational for the Boomers and, like, it's ridiculous. He played 11 minutes, 52, I think it was, in the first half of that Chinese Taipei game, or the first one. More than the entire season. More than the entire 15 games he's played. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah, it is. It's so, not good. So, yeah, I think those are, I guess, some of the things that could potentially cause the Hawks to, to fail. I noticed Matty McQuaid gave him a D in the, the mid-season review. Fair enough. But, hey, 10 and 7, they've been better on the road. So they can still, they absolutely can still oh, make they it. they can. They Definitely. Can. And then the Sydney Kings, who are kind of the hottest team in the league right now, 10 and 7 as well. And that's the thing the Hawks have to worry about, the form of the Kings. This is it. Yeah. So 11 of their 17 games at home, 2 and 4 away. Having said that, though, a few of those were earlier in the season when they weren't really gelling, guys were out. So 
yeah, five straight wins. They've won two of them away as well. They've done very well to to weather some pretty big issues at the start of the season, I think. Well, they have. I mean, the, the big issue at the start, though, was that... Injuries. Injury to, to Jalen Adams. When he came back in, he didn't know what he was really doing or what his role was in the team. So they had injuries to both of the Hunters as well, one of which is no longer with the team anymore. So... I don't know. You could make a case that Chase Buford's maybe three or four on the coach of the year at the moment. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, He's, they have weathered some pretty big issues. They've also got a stacked team. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, and, and they've recruited well. And, and hopefully their execution down the stretch will... That's that's probably the key for them. Well, that, that's been the key in their turnaround. I, I Actually, funnily enough, that's one of my big notes is that their execution down the stretch at the moment is really simple. Give it to Adams and get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and launch that massive three against Adelaide. But this is how it should be. He's a playmaker. He's a monster in the pick and roll. And he's a star. No one can... Like, you can't stay with him. You yeah. can't stay in front of him. He's he's finding really good seams in their defences. He's basically... Like, the game winner that he had, it wasn't even that good a look. But he managed to get a little bit of separation between him and Cam Bairstow, and he's class. Oh, yeah. He's only a bee's dick behind JLA in the MVP race at the moment, I think. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's probably NBA, but he's quite possibly NBA bound. So they better enjoy him while he, while he lasts. Speak, speaking of which, Xavier Cooks is another one. Oh, he's looked fantastic. He looks like Giannis. Oh, he has looked really good. He's, he's I love watching him play. Just dunking everything yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. He's being super aggressive. Did Swatting you... shots, using good footwork, making good decisions. Yeah, no, he's been fantastic. Another cracker from NBL Facts, this one. Did you see that the 25 and 10 against the Sixers to go with Dad Eric's 25 and 12 in a game, oh, God, a long time ago. I can't remember who it was, actually. I should have written that down. Probably the 90s. Meant that they were the first father-son duo with 25 and 10 in an NBL game. <laughs> That's classic. No, I didn't see that one. Crazy. But yeah, Cooks, to me, he and Adams are the two reasons that the Kings will make it. It doesn't matter if Vasiljevic is slightly down. It doesn't matter if Jarrell Martin's kind of fading in and out of games. It doesn't matter if Ian Clark's not found his shot yet. Those two are basically going to will those guys to a win in pretty much any game. My biggest concern with them is their rim protection. But there is a lot of small teams in the NBL and it's it, a lack of rim protection isn't enough to say they definitely can't win. So And Cooks and Martin, it's not a hideous... So no, and that's well, that's man. that's true. That that is true. Well, no, Martin Martin shit defensively. I think he's pretty bad at the rim. But no, you're right. Cooks Cooks is kind of he can play that center. No, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, JLA is the one I worry about with them. I think he'll they'll struggle with him because he's that much bigger. But... Yes, there's certain matchup teams. Yeah, that they wouldn't want to play. And Melbourne being. I mean, we could see a Sydney-Melbourne grand final. Oh, it's, it's quite possible. It's and, probably odds on at the moment. And, and the thing is, the Kings have probably the easiest run home. They have... Most, a lot on the road, though. But mostly bottom rung sides. Yeah, They've got yeah. a lot of games against the likes of Cairns and Adelaide and Tasmania and New Zealand. So I, I dare say I would not be surprised if they finish in the top two. I don't know if we're looking at the clock and uh, <laughs> shock horror. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for NBA. We had all the best in, intentions to talk about DeMar DeRozan and Zion and a whole bunch of other stuff. But we're going to have to probably punt that for next week because we don't have enough time. But what we can do is tease. Yes. Because we'll be having a, well, we'll have some guests. We'll have the throwback hoops guys. So Woody and Robbie will be joining us and we will be concentrating on NBA. So next week, we'll certainly talk about the NBA a lot more. And by the way, watch out for us on their show too. Yeah. So we'll be recording this coming Friday, which will be a bit of fun. That's right. So what we will do instead 
Let's duel some facts. Yeah, a bit of dueling stats time, Stewie. So I've got a couple here. Giannis had 50 points on 21 shots the other day. The fourth lowest field goal attempts in a 50-point game in NBA history. Today, in a 24-point win over Charlotte, he had 26, 16, and 6 with four blocks and a couple of steals to boot while shooting a perfect 14 of 14 from the charity stripe. It's his fifth 25, 15, and 5 game in less than 30 minutes. To put that in perspective, no other player has more than one since 1980. He's very efficient, isn't he? And yet... Charles Oakley came out on a podcast last week. Oh, he wouldn't start. No way. <laughs> what a joke. So for those that don't know, he and I haven't watched it yet or heard it, but he said that Giannis wouldn't have started back back in his day. He'd be off the bench. I mean, that's ridiculous. He got, he got laughed down by the other two oh, guys. Did he not watch game six, for Christ's sake? Mm. My God. Oh, no, he just reckons he's too soft. Oh. Guys would just foul him. That's ridiculous. And then he would make 14 or 14. He was, exactly. Yeah. He's improved. My first one's not really statty as such, but just a really interesting observation that I, uh, I'd made. Larry Nance Jr. and Josh Hart were actually traded as part of a, a trade for CJ McCollum, I guess, with Portland and New Orleans. He started well for them. He has started very well. We'll get to that <laughs> at some stage, but... Now, they both played for the Lakers earlier on in their careers and are good friends. And so they basically just said, well, I've got a house in Portland. You've got a house in New Orleans. Let's just swap. Oh, pragmatism. So, I love it. So smart. It is. Don't have to worry about selling and getting Paying agent, rent agents. agents. We'll get yeah. agents involved yeah. in that fee. So All yeah, sorts of stuff. it's very, very clever. Yeah. No, fantastic. Now, this is kind of, it's not, maybe you can understand why I'm going here next. So Derek White was obviously traded from San Antonio to Boston. How's this for a weird occurrence? Atlanta lost to him in back-to-back games. So his last game with San Antonio on the 11th of February, and then his first game with Boston a couple of nights later on the 13th. What are the odds? Crazy. Two to one. Crazy stuff. The fact they even played him yeah, that's nuts. is one thing, but they also lost both games. That is, that is and and San Antonio aren't very good either. Atlanta should be beating them. Mm. Now, again, not a statty one, but something I thought was kind of cool. Saw a video of some guy walking through the crowd at a Bulls game recently wearing a Derek Rose jersey. Oh, that was fantastic. And this guy has basically stuck red duct tape with a D at the start and an N at the end to make <laughs> to basically make Drozen. And he changed the number too. I and think. he added yeah. a one on to make yeah. it 11, which I, <laughs> I thought was absolutely brilliant. I love oh, that. Sensational. I love that stuff. Now, I spoke about the Charlotte Hornets before. They're 2-10 in their last 12 games and 0-7 in OT games this season. We thought that they would be a decent, like we didn't think they'd make noise in the playoffs, but we thought that they would be a decent chance of making the playoffs. They're faltering at a bad time. Play in? Yeah, well, if they're lucky at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of that, a team that didn't start superbly well and had a lot of people wondering if their stars should be split up. The Boston Celtics are now 12-2 and in their last 14 games. They've had the best defense since December 1st. The best point differential in 2022. Okay, it's only been a couple of months, but hey, they play a few games in a couple of months. The only East team with a winning record against teams above 500. Mm, Now that is important come playoff time. And they've won five straight road games where they've led from wire to wire and outscored opponents on average by nearly 30 points in that span. The biggest point differential in NBA history. So one team not doing so well, uh, one team peaking at the right time. Yeah, they are playing phenomenal ball right now. Now, we are planning on talking trade deadline with the throwback hoops boys, but see James Harden's had a pretty decent start with Philly. So Harden's now played two games for the 76ers, and they've been two very, very good ones indeed. He now actually has three of the top 10 debuts by points for new teams since 1983-84, spots four, eight, and 10 respectively. Charles Barkley's number one for Phoenix, if you're interested. 
The Philly Three, so Embiid, Harden, and Tyrese Maxey, sorry about that, Mr. Tobias Harris, uh, have combined for 176 points in their first two games together. Only Wilt Chamberlain, Paul Arizon, and York Lloris had more in their first two when they combined for 193 in 1961, thanks to ESPN Stats and Info. How many of those do you reckon were Chamberlain and Arizon? Most, I would guess. <laughs> I would I, I, I'll be honest, York Lloris is not a name I am familiar with. I, yeah, yeah, I'm not either, yeah. to be honest. It's funny you talk about Harden. So I've actually had a look. The three games that he's had in terms of his debuts after being traded, get this. So first game with Houston, 37 points, 12 assists, and six rebounds. First game with Brooklyn, 32 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds. And for Philly, 27 points, 12 assists, and eight rebounds. So that's right. So my stat was all about the points, but you're showing that it's not just the points. Yeah, yeah, he's averaging over 12 assists a game. He's averaging around about sort of eight and a half, nine rebounds a game as well. So he's averaging pretty close to a triple-double in his first game with the team. So yes, yeah. How many points he's giving up on defense, we don't know. But... It's not really a stat they've kept, but no. he's uh, no, he's doing pretty well so far. But as we always talk about, and, and certainly you're a big advocate for this, he is very much a regular season guy. What will he do in the playoffs this year? That's the big question. Oh, and Zach Lowe did a major deep dive on this. I think it was last season. And he went through all the only rare occurrences that Harden's played well in the playoffs is when his team's been down like 3 0 or something. Mm. So he he's he's had a very poor and a lot of his best games were when he was with the Thunder, which is going back quite a while now when he's playing off the bench. Yep. He is not a good playoff performer. Prove me wrong. It might change this season, but until I see it, I'm gonna assume he will suck in the playoffs and be a poor defender. Why did you have to remind me of the Thunder days? <laughs> <sighs> Makes me sad. Oh uh, yes couple of other non-NBL or NBA stuff. So quickly in the NCAA, I've got a couple of things. So on Sunday here and Saturday in the US, Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, Purdue, Kansas, and Kentucky all lost. Now, the reason that's significant, it's the first time in the history of men's college basketball that all top six teams lost on the same day. And all six of them were at home. Jeez, that would have been a good bet. That Rare one. odds. Very, rare very, odds. very rare odds. And then just quickly, Caitlin Clark was the fastest Division One player to 1,500 points in the last 20 seasons, men or women's. So congratulations to her. She is a frigging computer game. That She'll be a number one pick in the WNBA. Yeah. Ridiculous. The logo threes that she's hitting. Yep. Insane. Yep. Speaking of female college basketball, this brings me to a couple of crazy starts that I saw, one in the college basketball and one in the WNBL. Now, Louisville-led Notre Dame, as they <laughs> call it, both top 15 schools, but they led them 45 to four at one stage in the second quarter. Of That's game outrageous. Before winning 86 to 64. And in the WNBL, the Adelaide Lightning led the Bendigo Spirit 30 to nothing wow. at one stage. Wow. Before Bendigo scored with less than a minute left in the first quarter. And Adelaide actually only just held on for that one. Seven. 84 77. Seven points. Yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. Basketball so is a game of runs. We do love the sport. We do. And the stats. And the stats. And now, this week in sport history. February 28th, 1967, Will Chamberlain set an NBA record by scoring his 35th consecutive field goal without a miss, which spanned over four games. This also included the record for most shots in a single game without a miss, with 18 against Baltimore. He had 42, 30, and 10 assists in that one. Chamberlain also holds the second and third on that list from the same season. It's worth noting that during these four games, he went up against the likes of six foot nine Zelmo Beatty, never heard of him, six foot ten Leroy Ellis, and a guy we're just about to talk about, Jerry Lucas, who was six foot eight. 
So it's unlikely players of today will consistently have those sort of mismatches over four straight games. And with the game being much more based around the three-point line as well, this isn't being broken anytime soon. Interestingly, on Twitter recently, I saw people were arguing about the average height in the NBA. It's only changed by mere inches since back then. You would have thought that it would have changed a lot. Yeah, you would have thought. Yeah. February 29, 1964, Cincinnati's Jerry Lucas and Oscar Robertson combined for the rarest of rare 40-40 performance as the Royals beat the Philadelphia 76ers 117-114. to Regular season MVP Robertson scored 43 points while Rookie of the Year Lucas snagged 40 rebounds. Now, the reason this is the rarest of rare is because this is the only time this has happened in NBA history. There have been multiple occasions where Bill Russell had had 40 rebounds and a player on the opposite team had 40 points. And Will Chamberlain had three 40-point, 40-rebound games himself to go with four 50-point, 40-rebound games <laughs> and a 70-point, 40-rebound game. Oh, man. But in no other game has one teammate had 40 points and the other had 40 rebounds. It's also worth noting that Robertson had 10 rebounds and 10 assists to go with his 43 points, one of his 183 triple-doubles all-time. Lucas would average 17.4 rebounds a game that season, enough to win any of the last 28 rebounding titles but it still had him more than seven a game behind Bill Russell that season. (laughs) Numbers back then were crazy. Oh, they sure were. 1st of March, 1953, American golfer Babe Zaharias, what a name, won a controversial Saratoga Women's Open by seven strokes as playing partner Louise Suggs refused to sign her scorecard after Zaharias was given a beneficial drop ruling. Zaharias and Suggs had a really tumultuous relationship as the top women's players in the world back then. Suggs won the 1949 US Open by 14 strokes, but was constantly underappreciated as Zaharias garnered much of the attention, which probably led to this final act of defiance in the face of this perceived favouritism. The rivalry was so tense that when Zaharias was in hospital dying of cancer, Suggs declined to visit her or even send her flowers, stating, I decided I'm not going to be a hypocrite about this thing. We have actually spoken about Zaharias in a previous episode. She was one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yes, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I think she won an entire tournament one time, one of the majors wearing a colostomy bag. Yeah, that's right, yeah. If I remember correctly, yeah, Yeah. just a a crazy, crazy story. And the 2nd of March, 2011, in one of the great Cricket World Cup upsets, Ireland's Kevin O'Brien smokes the fastest century in World Cup history off just 50 balls and finishes on 113 off 63 as the Irish beat England by three wickets in Bangalore. We were there, not at the match, but yeah. England had made eight for 327 on a very good scoring pitch. And well, we would know. We were in Bangalore while these ones were on. We watched Australia play Canada and Kenya there. Got on telly tons in that Canada game. Oh, we did. We did. So (laughs) With the the bloody hawks circling around the stadium was terrifying. I was waiting to be taken by one of them. Well, I remember a woman got swooped at one of the places we went to. Oh, yeah, true. One of the forts or something. So, yeah, we got to see that pitch up close, and it was a very, very good scoring pitch. Anyway, England probably should have made a lot more. They were two for 210 with 15 overs to go, but Ireland actually restricted them quite well. Ireland, in reply, was struggling, though. Five for 111, 24 overs in, in all sorts of trouble. And then O'Brien just went berserk. He started slogging everything leg side. 51 came up off 30 balls. Slog after slog went to the boundary. And he was eventually run out with Ireland needing just 12 off 12. John Mooney, not the former Perth Wildcat, had, Jeez, a, we could use him. Yeah, had a crucial 33 off 30. Alex Cusack added 47 as Ireland got home with five balls to spare. Truly, truly breathtaking. 
And a couple of happy birthdays. Happy 52nd birthday to Yolanda Griffith and happy 42nd birthday to Shahida Freedy. Two of the best to do it in their respective crafts. Griffith, a WNBA legend, and Afridi, a cricketing all-round nightmare to face. So let's start with Griffith, Stewie, one of the true icons of the WNBA, but travelled a bit of a road to get there. So in high school, she was an All-American for softball in addition to basketball after being offered a scholarship to go to the University of Iowa, but she had to pause her dream after having her daughter, supporting herself through college working at a car repossession company. Then, after a stint in the American Basketball League, she absolutely made the most of her opportunity in the WNBA. She was eventually the 1999 MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, an eight-time All-Star, two-time All-WNBA first team, three-time second teamer, member of the WNBA's 10th, 15th, 20th, and 25th anniversary teams, plus a champion and finals MVP in 2005 with the Sacramento Monarchs. Unfortunately, after short stints with the Seattle Storm and Indiana Fever, she tore her Achilles tendon and retired, moving on to coaching, where she's currently an assistant with Boston College. But she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2014, and I dare say this second chapter of coaching could last a while. I think it could. Now, Shahida Freedy absolutely earned the nickname Boom Boom. Most of, <laughs> most of us will remember him as this destructive leg spin bowler who, on the right surface, could absolutely tear teams apart. But it's easy to forget that his first big achievement came in his first ever ODI as a batter. He broke the record for the fastest ODI century off just 37 balls. On debut. On debut. Wow. That's a record that stood for 17 years before Corey Anderson and then AB de Villiers would better it. He played a whopping 66 ODIs before making his test debut, which was at the time a record. He opened the batting against Australia in his first test, making 10 and 6, but had five wickets. He then made his first test century in his next match against India. And he actually did briefly retire from test cricket in 2006 to focus on ODIs before changing his mind 15 days later. Ah, uh, yes. He actually played for Ireland as well in the C&G Trophy. Honestly, I could go on and on about this guy's achievements for hours. His Wikipedia page is just, it's a mile long. <laughs> many millimetres long. Oh, many, many, many. <laughs> it's yep. all up there. The guy is fascinating, aside from biting a cricket ball and trying to hit a fan with a bat once. Yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, mountains of wickets, including the fastest delivery ever by a spinner at 134 k's an hour. And the unofficial longest six ever at 158 metres. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, one of my absolute favourite players growing up. Yep, definitely. Absolutely do it all. Oh, he'll smoke him. So happy birthday to Yolanda Griffith and Shahida Freedy. And indeed, speaking of these long lists, Yolanda, of course, went and won gold medals at the Olympics too. So they both had superb careers. They really did. This Week in Sport History. All right, Nathan, you know what that music means. What are you in for? Well, I'm very excited for Friday evening, Stuart. We'll be talking to the Throwback Hoops guys and we'll be recording for both their show and ours. So keep an eye out for both feeds coming up. Also, the Women's World Cup in the cricket and the Tour of Pakistan. What about yourself? Well, mate, if I'm honest, there's fuck all in the NBL I'm excited about this weekend. <laughs> Southeast Melbourne and Illawarra on Sunday afternoon is probably the only one I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Memphis and Boston in the NBA on Friday, two of the most exciting teams going right now. Bloody Ja Morant dropped 52 today and we didn't even talk about it. Two huge highlights, the dunk and the shot as well. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>